0: Kia ora, I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail...
1: Inflation has hit its highest level in a decade. Consumer prices uh, rose 2.2%
0: in the three months ended September, taking the annual rate to 4.9%. Previous claims that a spike in inflation would be short-lived are being discarded, as economists now warn that rising prices are here to stay. Inflation is... Uh, inflating again, I guess, according to the news... And isn't that just terrible, or good, or something? I look straight up. I don't really know that much about what inflation is. Inflation. 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 I mean, I know it's about money. It's about the price of stuff, groceries and computers and so on. And it has some relation to weather and by how much my salary goes up every year, but when it comes to what affects inflation, what it tells us about the world, who or what controls it, what the implications are when inflation runs rampant, not so much. So that is what today's programme is about. Inflation 101. And to explain a bit about this important, confusing, entirely abstract concept, we've invited back a friend of the detail, Liam Dan, welcome back to The Detail. Great to have you here. Good to be here. Liam Dan is the New Zealand Herald's business editor at large. Liam, what is inflation?
1: Good question. So I think the simplest way to understand inflation is just to think of it as rising prices, the cost of everything going up. That mostly means everything we we buy, supermarket and so on, but it also means the cost of labour, which means wages going up as well. So it's sort of slippage in the value of money. It's the um, uh, the value of a dollar going down. And, um, you know, this is an issue because it um, tends to undermine trust in, in the currency. And really, when you think about what money is, it's really just a collective um, agreement. It's based on, on trust and, and social cohesion that we all agree some, a bit of paper or a few pixels or whatever digital um, bytes are worth what they're worth.
0: Yeah, because money does not have inherent value, right? We sort of control how much a dollar is worth. And so am I right in saying inflation is the reason that a McDonald's cheeseburger used to cost 40 cents and now it costs $3.50 despite still being a McDonald's cheeseburger? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's right. Uh, It seems to be something that just... It generally, it it creeps up over time. I mean, if you look back across history, and as you say, if you went back to the 19, whenever it first arrived in New Zealand, 1980s, you'd see a really large amount of inflation, you know, $100 in a shopping trolley in the 1970s is something in excess of $1,000 to buy the same amount of goods now. So that's, even with manageable increases, it builds up over time so that the numbers look pretty weird when you look back in, in history.
0: Is inflation a good thing or a bad thing, or is it just a thing, like uh, a thing that is neither good nor bad, which is pointless to bemoan, which is like the tides or sand flies or dusk, it simply exists?
1: Well, it it sort of simply exists, and it's not inherently a bad thing if you've got um, in terms of relativity, it's all to do with relativity. So if everything's increasing in proportion and it's fair across society, that's great. But it doesn't always work that way. Some things in particular, you look at wages versus the cost of buying things and so if um, the cost of buying things is going up faster then we're getting poorer and It also has an impact on savings. So, um, you know, it it can effectively make savings uh, lower the value of your savings because the dollars uh, won't buy as much over time.
0: This is also why banks raise their interest rates during periods of high inflation. It's an incentive to keep your money, which would otherwise be losing its value, in your bank account.
1: And in a weird sort of way, it can eat debt um, because debts start to look smaller over time. So, uh, generally, there's a consensus that a little bit of inflation, uh, as long as it's steady, is a positive thing. Uh, is okay for an economy. We target between one and three percent in this country. Deflation, which is a whole another story, is is a bad thing when prices start going down for a whole bunch of reasons. And actually, this is the weird thing about the the, the fact we're dealing with inflation now is that actually for the last decade or so, we've been worrying about deflation. We've had these deflationary forces, technology. And uh, the internet, that sort of stuff has driven efficiencies and and price discovery, you know, your your Ubers and things like that driving prices down. We got used to to worrying about deflation. We got started talking about um, having negative interest rates and all that sort of thing. And now all of a sudden that has changed and it's very much uh, been triggered by the pandemic. Food prices had increased 3.1% and transport 13% in the quarter up to September compared to the same quarter last year. The average price for one litre of 91 petrol was $2.27 compared to $1.86 in the same quarter last year.
0: What influences inflation?
1: Some of the absolute fundamentals of economics have a big influence. So supply and demand, if you have a um, surge in demand or a... um, constriction of supply of goods or labour you'll see inflation start to rise or prices price pressure go on and that pushes up prices another factor is the money supply itself so how much money you have in the economy and you know this is why if you start you know the, the classic question a kid has is why don't they just print more money and that's of course The answer, the sensible answer to that uh, (laughs) has been rendered ridiculous now because, well, we actually are printing lots more money Mm. um, or New Zealand stock, but the rest of the world is. Still printing money.
0: Since mid-March, the Federal Reserve's balance sheet has ballooned from four trillion dollars to around seven trillion dollars, equal to about one third of the value of the entire American economy.
1: And that is actually something that does influence inflation, and so and, and also lower interest rates. So so when central banks open up the money supply because you have perhaps uh, deflationary pressures like they've had, it can can cause inflation
0: yeah okay so that's sort of like the principle of dilution right like at the moment there's a finite amount of money and you have whatever share of all of the money in circulation is and so if you increase the amount of money in circulation then your proportion of that amount of money is less and so you have less purchasing power with the money that you have
1: yes absolutely that's a less convoluted way of saying it it's um that's having an impact on the supply and demand, which is about scarcity in our economy and the price of things is affected by how scarce they might be. It's split up into non-tradables, as they call it in the trade, which is domestic inflation, and tradables, which is basically overseas uh, imported inflation, should we look. Uh, And we're just seeing here that uh, domestic non-tradable inflation was 4.5% for the year, which shows that you know, we're generating the price rises within our at own e- economy.
0: Now, you said earlier that inflation rises at a certain rate every year. Is that rate of inflation something that some authority decides, like the OCR, um, the official cash rate? Or is it the consequence of thousands or, or millions of, of small things, smaller decisions, which, when taken as a whole, uh, boil down to that percentage figure?
1: Well, there's a lot of forces, you know, a lot of different things in the economy affecting the supply and demand, affecting pricing, but uh, it's, it is a very much a policy decision, uh, sort, of, sort of a consensus around the world that, uh, you know, stable inflation is good because it maintains trust in your monetary system and your currency, the value of your currency. Um, so that's good for economies and stability uh, enables people to project forward and to invest and to grow things and create jobs and create more wealth. So over the years, it's been settled on roughly 2% or targeting between 1% and 3 to give a little bit of leeway, because that seems to um, be a, a place where it allows enough inflation to, to keep us away from, from deflationary risk, but it, it keeps it in check. And that the aim is to keep it in check there by constricting or increasing the money supply.
0: What are the consequences when inflation rises too much?
1: Effectively, for a lot of people, it means getting poorer. That's one of the, the big issues with inflation is that it tends to hit those who are at the lower end of society a bit harder. And, and you know, Stax NZ actually does a, a different set of inflation measures from the top line that they put out, which is... Um, looks at that. The latest one, for example, found that superannuitants were were effectively facing higher inflation than the rest of the country right now, or the average of the country. Because if you're on a fixed income, and if you're on a lower income, you're spending more of your income to survive. So if you're spending all of your money every week on goods and services to survive, on the grocery bill, on the rent, and things are going up, then um, you're really feeling that inflation a lot harder than some other people who have more discretion around their income. They do benchmark, um, you know, benefits and, and so on, in theory to inflation, but it's not happening all the time. And if inflation runs hot and fast, it gets ahead of you know where people on fixed incomes are able to keep up, and that would go for wages too. You know, we everyone hopes that uh, wages will rise to catch up, but. Um, often they're a bit slower. And of course, if they do start chasing inflation, you get a spiral effect and things um, really come back, comes back to that dilution you were talking about earlier.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this makes sense. So if, if inflation is rising at a rate of 5% per year, but your salary is only going up by two or 3% a year, then in real terms, you're actually earning less year on year. Is that, is that sort of how that works?
1: Yeah. You're effectively getting poorer. And then if, you start getting a spiral where it starts to spiral out of control, of inflation got up to 10% or, you know, the kind of hyperinflation that we've had in various times in history, then the real problem is that the trust goes out of the system. People don't trust that the value will last. If the value isn't the same, roughly the same for a dollar this week as it is next week or next week as it is this week, then people start to um, lose faith in the currency and they might start looking at other ways of um, trading and things like that. And it it just undermines confidence in the the economic system. And we've seen in history that 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 tends to just go crazy and, and things collapse and bad things happen politically.
0: There are some crazy stories of hyperinflation throughout history. In Zimbabwe in the late 2000s, annual inflation hit nearly 96 percent. That is a 90 with 21 zeros after it. In post-World War II Hungary, which was financially crippled by the loans that had given Germany and the massive physical damage done to the country while it was a theatre of war, the government issued a banknote worth 100 quintillion pengur. That is 100 million, million, million. Prices were doubling every 15 hours. But probably the most famous example came in Weimar, Germany in the early 1920s. Devastated by the appeasement payments demanded by the Allied nations after World War I, Germany's economy bottomed out. In January 1923, a loaf of bread cost 250 marks. By November of the same year that same loaf of bread cost 200 million marks.
1: To meet this crisis and pay the strikers in the Ruhr, the government simply printed
0: more money. And as it lost its value, so it cost more and more to pay wages to buy food. Hundreds of thousands. Millions, whatever figure was printed on the notes, really meant nothing. The German mark was worthless. As in a fearful dream people's life savings were blown away like leaves in a gale. That financial instability, that lack of trust, contributed to massive inequality, massive political discontent, and undeniably to the rise of the Nazi party. New Zealand, mercifully, has never experienced hyperinflation of those levels, but we have had our ups and downs.
1: In New Zealand, it's interesting, we had a... Bad Patch, the whole world did after the oil shocks of the 1970s. The oil-producing countries of the Arab world decided to use their oil as a political weapon.
0: They will reduce oil production by 5% a month until the Israelis withdraw from occupied territories. If the Arab countries keep that pledge, it would reduce their production by almost 50% in one year.
1: There was a few other problems with the New Zealand economy. We lost our trading partner, and uh, main trading partner with Britain and things. And um, inflation got out of control. It got up into double digits in the 80s. And we didn't quite have the mechanisms there to lean on it. The central bank wasn't as focused on inflation as it is now. And so Interest rates, for example, went up to double digits as well. So people with mortgages were really struggling in the mid 80s. It was a time when everyone, you know, there was, there was, it did hit confidence in, in the monetary system. And what's interesting to me is that has really influenced the narrative around inflation in this country because there is a generation of people who remember that and remember to the extent that they, they really are scared of inflation or worried about inflation and very concerned about what's happening now. And you've probably got another generation that um, has lived through almost 20 years of low inflation and, and doesn't really see it as a problem. So there's a bit of a disconnect there. And, and one of the reasons that happened is that New Zealand got on top of inflation in the early 90s. And um, I guess that the conventional story is that our, our central bank led the world in, in setting inflation-targeting policies. It was reformed, and it targeted inflation very hard. It, it put interest rates up, constricted the money supply. That had some negative effects. It, it meant, um, you know, uh, it was the cost of borrowing was very high. Um, unemployment uh, rose also into double digits by the early 90s. So there's a bit of debate about um, whether we went too hard or not but we did get on top of inflation.
0: This is actually an amazing story. The Reserve Bank governor at the time was Don Brash. A couple of years ago, he spoke to the NPR podcast Planet Money about that process.
1: It didn't look good at all, and I make no apology for that. It looked looked very bad, and I was as concerned about it as anybody else, believe it or not. I mean, you'd have to be an awful miserable so-and-so not to care. Don was supposed to get inflation between zero and two by 1992. And sure enough, we we achieved it not only by 92, we actually achieved it by 91, which was a little earlier than, than planned. And there were people who said, look, by getting there early, you have subjected the real economy to more pressure than you needed to do. And there was some truth on that. But he did lower inflation in this new way that no one ever had before. And yes, there were still problems, but economists understood the logic behind inflation targeting. And then on the top of that, we had technology come in. So, in the from the mid to late 90s, the whole world really benefited from the efficiencies that computers brought to supply chains mm-hmm. and production. And then the internet came along, as I mentioned, and the um, you know it pushed prices down. So it had really um, deflationary forces at work for a long time until really until the pandemic.
0: Let's talk about the pandemic then, because. You were talking earlier about how, you know, inflation is influenced by the uh, amount of money that's in circulation. And one of the features of the pandemic is countries around the world have just printed or, or at least, you know, typed into existence billions, trillions of, of dollars. Surely that must have a massive impact on on inf- inflation. Has that been a consequence of the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I, well, I think I think it does, although that started in the U.S., u k and Europe, et cetera, after the gfc and they kind of got away with it because of the big deflationary forces out there and so while you you know so so in a way they 've continued that or ramped that up um new Zealand's done a bit of it too, and that you know that is an inflationary force, and interest rates have been very low, but that 's primarily you know up until the pandemic was all about just trying to head off deflation which was which was worrying people. I guess with all that money printed and then coming in over the top of it, the very real-world problem is what's happened to uh, supply of goods uh, and services around the world because of the pandemic. So uh, in the initial lockdowns, factories in China or all over the world shut down. They stopped producing goods. And when it came time to turn them back on, well, uh, they've kind of overloaded their power system. Uh, They're struggling to get those efficiencies of production back things are just out of whack. It's a very complicated sort of jigsaw the whole global supply chain. And so one or two things having real problems getting up and running again, like computer chips is throwing out products all over the world. And then on top of that, the same sort of thing has happened with the shipping networks, which have um, clogged up, a massive backlog has built up. So there's these really uh, real world, physical, fundamental things stopping um, goods and services. And and the services would be, to some extent, labour. You know, like even... Mm. Obviously, in this country, we have the the, the borders closed or very close to closed. But even in countries with um, more open borders, there's still been a real um, hit to the movement of labour around the world and there's labour shortages everywhere. So that's pushing up wages. So these things are probably the biggest drivers of inflation right now with with a bit of um, support from that easy money that's been out there. And the big debate in the world of economics right now is whether this is... A transitory thing that we shouldn't worry about because we know we've we're going to get through the pandemic, eighteen months or whatever, and it should sort itself out. Or whether with all the money printed and, and whether it will it, this inflation could embed itself and we could get back to the kind of problems that we had in the seventies and eighties.
0: What do you think it is? Do you think it's transitory or or, or more sort of deeply embedded?
1: Well, <laughs> I thought about it a bit, and I, you know, I'd only be even even really smart people like, uh, you know, uh, Nobel Prize winner Paul Krugman are are sort of hedging their bets a bit. He's a transitory guy, but he's he's admitted that nobody really knows. I kind of think it is transitory, but my view is that transitory might, it might be quite a long period of transitory. So I think that technology wins eventually. You know, so um, at some point the efficiencies will come back to the production system, The, the shipping will sort itself out, and New technology keeps pushing down the price price of everything. That's, that's what we've seen. So I think that'll win in the end. But the pandemic's taking a long time, as we all know, and that might be another 18 months or two years, and that might mean inflation runs high for that period or a good chunk of that period. And that could still be serious enough to do a lot of damage to the world economy. Um, and that's primarily because... The main re- way we fight inflation uh, in the modern world is, is by lifting interest rates and constricting the money supply. And the world has a lot of debt right now. Uh, and New Zealand has a lot of debt. Um, you know, Just think of all the mortgage debt out there. People can't sustain mortgage rates going up to 10% or, or above like they did in the 1980s because the size of a mortgage is, is just so huge. Things would all fall to bits. So there are limits on what they can do. So that's a concern, and um, yeah, you know, stock markets don't like it either. To be fair, Uh, the the money shifts out of stock markets into um, bonds and things, and that's that's a risk too. So, so those, you know, this inflationary period is still, uh, uh, even if it is transitory, is still something to uh, be very cautious about.
0: I mean, looking at the here and now, what is inflation tracking at now in New Zealand, and in a in an historical context is it high
1: if you looked right back across our history um, it's not that high but it's high for the last 20 years or you know so it's it's it's, it's roughly about five uh, percent I think 4.9 was the latest annualized figure that we got um, so that's outside the reserve Bank's comfort zone um, and that means that they well everyone expects they will continue to lift interest rates to lean against that Um but they're not panicking because they do see, to some extent, you know that the um, specific short-term issues um, driving it. But one thing to remember is that um, you know I, I get a lot of correspondence from people going, you know, talking about government policy and, and reserve bank policy and what New Zealand's done to cause this inflation. That figure of around five percent is where the rest of the world is landing as well. So the whole world, right now, US, UK, you know, uh, Europe, our major sort of Peers, I guess, uh, developed world, uh, in that sort of four to five percent inflation and inflation expectations. So I think the world can cope with that, um, and and central banks can lean against that. If it starts to spike above that and lasts longer than uh, the next few quarters of next year, then I think there will be a little bit more. Um, uh, I won't use the word panic, um, concern <laughs> settling in.
0: That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to a mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform, and if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell, and thanks to Liam Dan from the NZ Herald. Mate